Cuckoo-clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Hoorah, hoorah. And open the door to join us for the 20th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm Sad Circus Bear Meredith. And I'm just marking my territory, Mike. <laughs> and we meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station. <laughs> To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. So, saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Wow, 20 episodes. Yes, we've gone platinum, Meredith. Oh, yeah, the modern anniversary gift for the 20th anniversary is oh, platinum. Oh my gosh. So this is our platinum episode. I wish I had 20th. some platinum to give you, but I ain't rich. This podcast has not brought us to platinum buying levels yet. Yes, surely not a platinum card. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, silver, I think. I think that's my general metal level. You know, across most things, I'm like a silver. I'm all like stainless steel. Metal. (laughs) Just a cheap pot from Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah. That's where I am. You got to leave room for growth, right? Yeah, obviously. (laughs) I definitely feel that way. Meredith, I have to tell you my week in animals. I'm just jumping right into it. Please, please. I felt a little disappointed coming from such glorious biodiversity, if you will, Mm -hmm. of Florida and coming back to New York and there not being an ibis every time I turned around. There was an ibis every time you turned around? There was an ibis every time I turned around. And I saw a lot of cocks. And no, I'm talking about roosters. There were like a lot of like stray chickens, you know, and like I saw a couple alligators. I just saw a variety of birds and literally an ibis every time. Was it a scarlet ibis or was it? It was a white white one with a a pointy beak. And the airboat guy told us that like he and his brothers were screwing around and one of them stabbed the other one with like a dead ibis beak, which is complicated for a number of reasons, but they're pointy. So don't try and stab your brother with a dead bird's beak, which I feel like is not something I have to tell our listeners. Wait, don't make assumptions, Mike. But I don't want to make any assumptions. I've never heard anything more Florida. And I've heard people say that phrase so many times. But man, that is Florida. It's Trey Flordique. <laughs> to stab your brother with a dead ibis beak. I know. Damn. Yeah. Okay. That's, That's kind of awesome. There's not a lot to do in the swamp, you know? But getting rows with your with your brother. Yeah, cause a ruckus. Cause a ruckus. A fracas. A fracas. I don't know whether the pigeon is the ibis of New York or the yeah. ibis is the pigeon of Florida. And I think that I would rather be the ibis of New York than the pigeon of Florida. But that means that I'd be a fucking pigeon in New York City, which is an animal that, you know, I've struggled to, like, really accept the pigeon into my heart. Uh-huh. Through my friendship with you and through <laughs> our hard work on this podcast. Uh-huh. And I don't know that I'd really want to be a f- 
fucking pigeon. And then if I was an ibis, I just would want to be regarded as an ibis. I wouldn't want to be known as like a pigeon of anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel that. I don't think ibises are anywhere close to being regarded as pigeon level. Sure. They're not like the rats of the swamp. Like the rats are the rats of the swamp. Right. And I doubt they're like pecking around at your feet in the swamps of Florida. There was actually a very surgical strike of this dinner situation where it was a different kind of bird. I don't remember what kind of bird it was, Uh but it was not an ibis. It was a smaller black bird. Okay. I I would curious now to know what it was but it hopped down on the umbrella that was over a table and then it hopped down onto a chair and then it hopped to another chair then it hopped to the table and then it ate a french fry and then it went back and out and then another bird came and did the same thing five of them got in there and stole a fry before they were able to take the plate away were they um like speckled black like were they black with speckles I don't know about speckles, but it, there was a sort of raven, like dark blue iridescent. Oh, but small. Moment. I'd say it was maybe small, like about a football size. And it wasn't a crow. It could they... have been a crow. Oh, it could have been a crow or a raven. Yeah, I didn't have. I didn't interview it. Doth said the raven. Yes. <laughs> they were just. It was like no, no more fries, no more fries. Here's what my bird instincts are telling me. Ravens and crows are super smart, so they would probably learn from each other and, like, maybe mm-hmm. even have some means of communicating that there's food down there. Sure. But if it wasn't as big as a crow or a raven, because they're actually pretty, but, like, yeah, maybe football size, but bigger, taller. I'd say this was, like, smaller than a football. Maybe it might like have a been a grackle. Beetle. It might have been a grackle. A grackle. Grackles are beautiful. I can bring up a picture of a grackle and see if it looks yeah, familiar. Pull up a photo of a grackle. They're actually really cool. Oh, Meredith, I got a picture of a grackle right here. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it looks like. Okay. Because the second you said blue iridescence, I was like, oh, we might be talking grackles. Yeah, it looks like uh, it looks like a, somebody who dressed for like a winter formal with like a black suit <laughs> and one of those blue iridescent shirts, you uh-huh. know, that were popular when we were that age. They're so sleek. They definitely look like little crows. They do. And it says it's in North and South America. Oh, yeah. You can see grackles all over. Common grackle. There's an uncommon grackle. (laughs) But yeah, that was, I don't know. I mean, I'm still just so overwhelmed with wildlife from my Florida moment. That's the tea. Yeah. I love that. I was um, walking to work, which is like in the Hudson Yards area. So there's just like a lot of construction everywhere and like, but also big buildings around. I'm walking up to work and then I look down and I see a bird, like dead bird. You just like the characteristic like talons like straight up. And at first I'm like, oh gosh, a pigeon. No, that's so sad. But then I noticed the really long beak on him. Speaking of long pointy beaks. And so I immediately, and I looked at the coloring and I immediately knew it was a woodcock. And I've been wanting to see a woodcock for a long time because apparently they hang out in Bryant Park. But New York City is part of their migration. And so around like the spring and fall, you'll like see actually a lot of injured or dead woodcocks because they'll like run into buildings or they get disoriented. Sure. And I was just like, my first woodcock sighting and he wasn't alive. You heard it here first, people. Bryant Park is a great place to go hunting for woodcocks. (laughs) Yep. And the bird watching ain't so bad either. (laughs) So, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. 
of a story, but really it was like my big animal event. Like I, I've really actually been wanting to see one and they actually, they're cool birds because they do like a really funny like walk and it looks like they're doing like a, they just kind of shift their weight like back and forth while keeping their feet stationary. So it just like, looks like they're doing this little boogie. Yeah. The woodcock boogie. The woodcock boogie. Happening all over Bryant Park. Yeah. That's a, sounds like a song from the 1920s. (laughs) I'm in a 1920s band now. I think I'm going to, maybe I'll write a song called the Woodcock Boogie. It's pretty good. You know, like just one of those. Oh my gosh, that would go so perfectly with their like, their little. You know, like something like that. And he'd be like. Oh yeah, they're shaking their little booties to it. It's so perfect. It could be like, do the Woodcock Boogie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I just wrote a song. That's perfect. Copywritten. So, yeah, I mean, a bummer, but animals nonetheless. Affirmative. It feels like a great time for us to just kind of kick it off. Yeah, let's talk about animals that are alive. Ready? Okay. Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who? Texana, me. Kingdom. Animalia, neither a vegetable nor a mineral. Them. Cordata, stacked in line, that's my spine. <laughs> Mammalia, world's best cuddlers. Order. Pelosa, ecological harmony. Family. Bradipodidae, sloths with three toes. Genus. Bradipus, the only extant genus. Species. Variegatus, brown-toed, three-toed sloths. We move slowly. <laughs> I wonder what animal you're doing today, Mike. It's the brown-throated, three-toed sloth. Whoa! I love her doing sloths. Yeah. They're fun. They're really fun. The brown-throated sloth is the most widespread and common of the three-toed sloths. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, like, Honduras in the north and Central America down south, like, through Brazil. Nicaragua, there's Costa Rican sloths, Panamanian, Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Bolivia, Brazil, Peru. So we're talking like rainforests. Yes, they like an evergreen forest. They like a dry forest. They like a highly perturbed natural area. It's not a natural area that's just like, oh, God, shut up. Yeah, all the trees are just looking. They're just like, oh, why would you do that? They're 17 to 31 inches in length. Five to 14 pounds. It's got a short tail. It's like one to three and a half inches long. That's like a demi-nub. It's a demi-nub. That's agreed. (laughs) In the standard measure of tail. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a demi-nub for sure. Each foot has three fingers, and at the end of each finger is a long curved claw. Uh It's about three inches long on their forefeet and two inches long on their hind feet. So they have longer hand claws than feet claws. Sure. We got a round head. Yeah, I'm picturing it now. We got a blunt nose. Yes. Inconspicuous ears. Yes. No incisor or canine teeth. Whoa. Whoa. Which are like your front. They're like your fangies. Mm-hmm. They have simple peg-like cheek teeth. <laughs> cheek teeth. They lack a gallbladder, a sesum, or an appendix situation, uh-huh. which I learned that the gallbladder is in that it's like all kind of near each other. Right. Which is weird. I don't know what any of it does other than like disrupt your life because you got to get them taken out. 
Yeah. They're all kind they seem to all be related to complicated digestion concepts that maybe humans aren't super into, I guess. Sure. Who's to really say? <laughs> I guess somebody that actually knows things about this. Maybe they see would know. Some maybe experts. an expert. Yeah, there's a, a see some sensei. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Arigato. Arigato. They have brown throats, obviously, and the sides of their face and forehead are also brown. And then they have like a lighter gray, like beige brown fur elsewhere. I'm picturing it. They always look to me like they've, I think I just, <laughs> I just watched this episode of Seinfeld last night where like the shower head pressure, they switched all the shower head pressure to like energy saver or water saver. Sure. The idea was that no one could get all the shampoo out of their hair because the pressure was so low. So, like, everybody came in with, like, really flat hair. <laughs> like, it, like Kramer's hair is all flat and Seinfeld's hair is all flat. And Sloths, I think, look like they're using a low-pressure shower head. They just all look like they have terrible haircuts. Well, regarding their haircuts, <laughs> the dense under fur lacks a central medulla, which is, like, this core center part of a hair filament okay so it's like a hollow moment got it and it has lots of microscopic cracks that's just teeming with commensal species of algae and commensal is like symbiotic it essentially means the same thing that they have a relationship where Mm -hmm. the algae does something good for uh, the sloth although i'm not sure what that is and the sloth just like grows upon you know yeah I remember this. It's typically not found in the hair of young sloths. And sometimes in older individuals, like they've lost the outer cuticle of the hair. So their hair is like too old for algae. Too old for algae. That's the Lifetime Sloth movie (laughs) for like the sloth widow who lives by some lighthouse in Cape Cod. Too old for algae. (laughs) Starring Stalker Channing. (laughs) And then the baby sloths, they just haven't been sitting around long enough no. for the algae to grow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's also a very rich fungal flora in that hair, too. So it's not just algae. It's also fungus. Of course. And then these are some sleepy sloths. Sleepy babies. Sleepy babies. They sleep 15 to 18 hours every day and are only active for brief periods during the day or the night Uh so they expend energy for like a minute and then they just like hang out for an hour (laughs) which sounds wonderful yeah there are some moments where i feel like i have days like that they can walk on the ground i'm sure you've seen these fun videos of sloths i think you showed me my first video of that where they would the crossing the road guy yeah then they pick it up and then they go into like the number 17 the spread eagle the superman yeah yeah and the r kelly starts yeah i believe that was before r kelly got canceled yeah now we can't listen to that song anymore I know now, which means we can't watch that video. Yeah. What? Don't take my flying sloths away from me, Gar Kelly. Fuck you, dude. Seriously, the sloths that aren't flying are on the ground, but mm-hmm. they generally stay in the tree. They can also swim. And back to you know, like last week, we were talking about the paleontologists. Yeah. And if there's all these large ground sloths, like the oh, sloth right. history the, is very really yes. interesting. I know I'm always quoting the like public educational institution at Cincinnati but I, there was like a exhibit in the Natural History Museum where they had all these like plastic replicas of prehistoric creatures uh-huh. and the giant sloth was one of them and having been through that exhibit probably like 40 times in my life it's just very like fused into yeah, my head 25 the... of which were as an adult of course we went all the time <laughs> 
But yeah, there was like a giant sloth plastic thing. Yeah, it's like a megafauna. Yeah, a and megafauna moment. If I if that model was like to scale, it's like bigger than like a polar bear. Yeah, even. they're like huge. Huge. Yeah, giant huge. sloths. Big old sloths. Super sloth me. The brown throated sloth that we're talking about today mm-hmm. can also travel on the ground or swim, but it mostly is in the tree. Except every eight days, it descends to poop on the ground and then it goes back up the tree, which I feel like kind of. <laughs> makes it considerate that it's not just like pooping off of the side of the tree, which is what I would probably do. Absolutely. And just be like, whoever's underneath me is going to get hit by my poo. I would actually probably find like a fun, I'd probably take a, a lot of joy, like immature joy in the amount of time that it would take before it would splat on the ground. I'd like wait in sure. anticipation of the poop splat sound. Be like, that one was my poop. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be like, ooh, that one was like a little more dense, the ground a little faster this time. You hear a howler monkey squeal. <laughs> you're like, yes, got him. <laughs> got him. All That's, right. That is very considerate of the sloth. Yeah, it's lovely. Well, they're also making themselves pretty vulnerable, too. Yes, When they true, do that, true. just for a poop. Just for a poop. Wow. But maybe that's the thing. It's like if they poop from the sky... That's more likely to draw attention than if they descend and find a quiet area to poop. Mm -hmm. A single toilet bathroom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the adults live alone, except when they're raising young. And the males have been observed fighting. What? Mm -hmm. They generally like eating a young leaf in the high canopy. So each sloth will have about 40 trees that they visit, but they might specialize in a particular species of tree. Okay. They might even spend about 20% in like one like home base tree, which is my term, but it's like, you know, like a home base class in high school. Your homeroom. So the species is a general leaf eater. But individuals might feed on a very small range of leaves. Okay. So one sloth might develop a taste for a certain type of tree, and they might only eat that type of tree. But another sloth of the same species might never eat that tree and might eat only the other trees. Cool. It's pretty cool. That seems very cooperative. Yeah, it's kind of like, let's just eat the young leaves of all the trees. But you focus on yours, and I'll focus on We've all got our tastes, man. Yeah. Beyond their fungus friends, they also have a relationship with the moth Cryptosis coloipi, which lives in the sloth's fur and lays its egg in sloth dung, which is hilarious. It's okay. just kind of like, it's been six days. It's been six days, two days till he poops. Like, it's been seven days. He's going to poop tomorrow. Aww. Oh my God, he's going to poop tomorrow. He's pooping. <laughs> Let's go put our eggs in the poop. We got to put the eggs in the poop. Oh, wait. So they like hitch a ride up and down the tree yeah. on this guy. Sure do. And then lay their eggs when he goes to take his, like, weekly constitutional. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Ah, what a way oh. to put it. Yeah. Their predators are the harpy eagle, jaguars. That's pretty much it. The yellow-headed cascara, which is a bird. Okay. It's been observed foraging for small invertebrates in the sloth's fur, which doesn't seem to bother the sloth, which cracks me up even more because the sloth is just this organism that like several other organisms use for sustenance and like will just literally eat food out of the fur of the sloth and the sloth is just kind of hanging there just not really moving or worrying about it oh this is such a cute illustration i just love the idea of like a sloth he's like teeming with like fungal flora and there's like little moths flittering all about him he looks a little like linus like 
and just got all these like bugs swirling around him. And then he's got like birds all over him, like pecking at his back, pecking all this shit out. Meanwhile, he's just trying to take a nap. And meanwhile, he's just like hanging out. Yeah. It's just this like moving, like mini, mini ecosystem. I know. So cool. It's really fun. So in mating season, the lady will emit a loud, shrill scream. Hi, <laughs> hi. Oh my gosh, it's so funny because you think of these slods as like not only slow, but silent. Because they aren't. Well, the ladies aren't when they're trying to, you know, make a connection. That is so funny. Okay. And uh, the male on has a black stripe surrounded by orange fur on its back between its shoulders. In case you're trying to figure out the mm-hmm. gender of a sloth. Okay. S- sloths are polygynous with the male, one male mating with multiple females. Polygamous. Polygynous. Isn't it polygamous? Hold on, because with I have an this. With N. Polygynous with an N. Hold on, I'm going to look. Because this came up in mine, too. Yeah, it's the same word as yours. And I just didn't. Like, polygynous. Que- I didn't question it until I heard you say it. Okay. Polygyny is the most common and accepted form of polygamy, entailing the marriage of a man with several women. Okay. And then polyandry is another form of polygamy in which women practice having two or more husbands. Uh-huh. I don't know how polygyny is different from polygamy. Well, polygamy is the gender nonspecific. I oh, feel no, like. I think it's just their marriage isn't involved. I think polygamy is like you're literally married okay. in a union, whereas like polygyny is a cultural norm where like there's mistresses. Okay. So slots are not polygamous because they don't have marriage that right. we know of. Right. But they are polygynous. Is that how we're saying it? Yeah, and that they have multiple partners. Yeah, a male mating with multiple females. Whereas if they were polyandrous, it would be one female mating with multiple males. Yes. Those are like the Mormon slut bugs. That was polygynandry, where <sighs> multiple males mated with multiple females. And okay. like crisscross, crisscross. That's, okay, yeah, that's the other category. Polygynandrous. Polygynandrous. Yeah. Polygynandrous. And then there's polyandry. Polyandry. Which is women with multiple, like one Uh woman, multiple partners. Yeah. And then there's... Polygyny. Polygyny, which is one man with multiple female partners. And then if there's like a union, like a ceremony, a performance of a union, it's polygamy. All right. Wow. I'm glad we have this cleared up because this is going to come into play later. Yes. Well, gestations of at least seven months with a single youth born fully furred and clawed. <gasps> Owie, mommy. Yes. The babies cling to mommy for five months or longer and have been weaned after four to five weeks. Okay. So they're still attached to mom for a long time after they're weaned. Okay. So the mammary glands of the female sloths, they don't store tons of milk because the baby's right there. Okay. The milk is made, the baby drinks it, you know. Uh-huh. But then the baby will start licking particles of food off of mom's mouth when it's about four days old. Add that to the number of creatures being sustained off of this. I know, yeah, and a baby. <laughs> She's like, look at all this algae and moths and everything. And birds and, and a baby. And a baby, yeah. <laughs> so the baby will then develop a taste for the same types of leaves that its mother prefers. Which might not be the same types of leaves that another sloth in the colony. Correct. Likes. Correct. 
so it will generally have the same preferences for leaves as its mother's. Okay, so it's sloth. passed down generationally in these tastes for leaves. Cool. It's true. I really like your concept of the sloth as this sort of like mother earth, like <laughs> bringer of life, like a traveling self-contained yes. ecosystem. I think that's super duper fun. And uh, I think that, you know, a 30 to 40 year lifespan, just kind of hanging out in trees, going down every eight days to poop and sustaining diverse algae, fungal, moth, bird, baby sloth ecosystems, and just kind of like eating young leaves in the high canopy. Mm-hmm. Does not sound bad. It really doesn't. Except when you're like vulnerable to the jaguars. Yes. When you're going to take your weekly poop. Yeah, don't get eaten by a jaguar during your weekly poop. I love them. They're great. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sloths. You're very welcome. I'm glad that I could bring you such fun sloth info. Yeah, that was great. Break time. Break. Whoa! Geez, Franklin, you were really out of control there. What's going on? Wanda, I got really excited about Sandals, the new desert creature footwear from Brand Clubby. Now I more fully comprehend your excitement. Footwear for all desert creatures? That's the goal of Brand Clubby, which is already well on its way to pan-species coverage. Now I understand your level of excitement. Normally, when us armadillo lizards roll into a ball, we don't also roll into our friends. Scorpion strap sandals. Camel heels. Tarantula thongs. Jackal jellies. Scarab stilettos. Open-toed ostrich oxfords. Foxy flip-flops for foxes. Antelope angle boots. And in development, iguana inline skates for the squamate on the go. One word. Wow. Wanda. Wow and how. Brand Clubby continues to amaze me with their continued dedication to fulfilling needs of all ecosystems. Egalitarians. Coyote clogs. I've had a cutie just swimming through the pelagic water column of my heart. He's super big, like 60 feet long, and has the largest brain of any species, which has to mean that he's super smart. O-M-G-G-G, Meredith. I can't stand the suspense. Who is he? He's a sperm whale. Swoon. He sounds so virile. Well, that's kind of a misnomer since the sperm moniker actually refers to the waxy substance inside his huge head, but I don't care. He can use all that brain goop to help him echolocate me any day of the week. Oh my god, Meredith. I have this cutie who I just think is going to sweep me up in his arms and hold me Tight. I am just so excited about Oh my gosh. You have to tell me right now. Who is it? It's a Stroboanuda, a basket star from the Gorgonocephalidae family. Its large meter long arms are highly branched. 
He sounds positively sparkling. Meredith, I could see why you made that assumption, but it's wrong. A sea star is not like a celestial star in the galaxy. It's like an echinoderm that lives under the sea. I thought you knew better. Like a starfish? Meredith. It's like I don't even know you anymore. Taxana you. Taxana we. Taxana who? Taxana moi. Kingdom. In Amelia. Get it? The animal kingdom. Phylum. Cordata. We're big old sacks of bones. Class. Mammalia. They're warm and fuzzy. Order. Carnivora. You insects better watch your backs. Family. Mephitidae. Nice anal scent glands. Genus. Mephitis. They come striped or hooded. Species. Mephitis. Mephitis. I hope you like tomato soup. It's a striped skunk. Whoa. Skunks. Skunks. Yeah. Mammal focus this episode. I know. I know. I feel a little guilty about that. But, you know, it's how, what do we expect when we're surprising each other? With it's species? true. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's fine. And we, I mean, you know, we're mammals. We love mammals. We gravitate towards things we love and know. That's just human. It sure is, Meredith. So I think we're going to call this next little segment the naming of skunks. It doesn't seem is to be. Is it a difficult it matter? It doesn't seem to be a difficult matter, but it seems to be like a really interesting matter. So the word skunk, as we know it, it comes from um, like Algonquin and Iroquois languages. Okay. Saganku or Skangares. Skangaresi are the Algonquin or Iroquois words, respectively. And then we've got the Cree and Ojibwe languages, which call the skunk a shegok, which is actually the word for Chicago. Huh. So Chicago essentially morphed from shegok. Shegok. Which means skunk land. <laughs> no, the Windy City is also the skunky city. Skunk land. Skunk land. So you perform in the musical Skunk Land. Oh, skunk land. Sorry to say. I appreciate you having to really force a fine point on that because <laughs> I was so focused on the geography of it. Yes. I'm familiar with the musical Skunk Land. That is an accurate statement. Yeah, so you can, you know, spread that fact about. Whoopee, hotcha, skunks. <laughs> spray. And all that spray. <laughs> Cute. So other names include, these are actually funny, the prairie polecat or the French Canadian word, um, which was the enfant du diable, so child of the devil. Yeah, that's a very French thing to call the stinky, the offending odor creature. I feel like that is the, we have, we have the sophisticated nasal cavities of the French people. We cannot be offended by the devil's. By the devil's child, the enfant du diable. Did you say, is this a lagomorph? Is this related to rabbits like that? Nope. Is it's it a mef- rodent? Befitidae. 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 So I think that is skunks and um, badgers, I want to say. Huh. Or maybe skunks and weasels. I'm not sure. This is the family level. I know at genus, it's just skunks. Mephitidae, like Mephistopheles. <gasps> oh my gosh, more devil stuff. I didn't even put that together. Yeah, skunks and stink badgers. They're noted <laughs> for their great development of their anal scent glands, which they use to deter predators. Stink badger. Let's just the let that one day. stink in. 
Look, I've been to Wisconsin before, <laughs> and I will tell you that I've met some badgers, and I've also met some stink badgers. <laughs> well, Mephitidae, indeed. But yeah, I'm just really into the idea of the prairie polecat because apparently they looked a lot like the European polecat. Oh. <laughs> which is a ferret. Oh, cute. Because right? it's a pole-shaped cat? No. Great question. I just, I could not get past stripper in my mind. Sure, yeah. Like, I didn't go beyond that. More devil stuff. Yes. But they were stealers of poultry, or known to be, or suspected to be, I wow. should say. That's where polecat comes from. Poultry. They liked poultry. Yeah, they liked stealing chickens. Hmm. Polecats. Prairie polecat. I just want a strip club in Kansas to be called Prairie Polecats. That's actually the name of like the strippers union. It's she's like comes into the club and she's like up in Nebraska, everybody's joined the stripper polecats. It's the only way that we the can prairie guarantee polecats. the prairie polecats. Yeah, the prairie polecats. It's the only way we can guarantee fair wages. Oh, the strippers, man, they get like great wages, they extra sure fair. Yeah, it's very. It's. <laughs> That's definitely what I've heard. They always say the nicest cars outside of a club are usually the girls that are dancing. There. God bless them. Yeah, they're working. They're yeah, earning sure. that money. Yeah. Any whom. The skunk distribution is actually predominantly most of the United States. I think there's just a very small sliver that runs from like north to south. So probably, I don't know, it looked like Nevada, maybe like in the Finn Strip. Hmm. So probably like very severe de- desert areas. This prairie polecat? The prairie polecat, the skunk. Wait, now I'm so confused. We're talking skunks, man. I'm just still stuck on these strippers. <laughs> We're back to... We've I left... told you! <laughs> it's hard to get past that. It's very hard to get past that. So we've left our prairie polecats. No, well, skunks are also known as prairie polecat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Those are some stinky girls. No amount of freesia body splash can cover up that stink. It's true. I got wrapped up in our taxonomy information, so I was thinking about skunks and stink badgers, and, and then I thought that you were relating it to a prairie polecat. I just need to be more focused. I'm so sorry. No, it's you. okay. There's, it's just a lot. There's a lot going There's on There's definitely here. a lot. Prairie polecats. Come on. <laughs> That's so perfect. You can't get past it. It's like they roll up on very fancy motorcycles to go work their shift. Like when the fancy motorcycles are out front, you know that the prairie polecats have come rolling into town. Meow. Meow. (laughs) Okay. So pretty much like the majority of the United States and up into like, I don't, probably not the majority of Canada because Canada is so big, but a large, large portion of Canada is where we find these prairie polecats. Except for in that little strip of desert. Like the landing strip, like strippers have sometimes. Yeah, it's like the Brazilian wax of the country in terms of distribution of prairie polecats. Yeah, there's no prairie polecats in this one little strip. Well, but it's It's like an inverse landing strip. Yeah, but didn't you say that that was like Nevada and everything? Yeah, it seemed to be some pretty dry. I mean, but it was. well, but it's a different union there. That it's, this is the desert scorpions. That's they have jurisdiction over that region. Oh yeah, nary the two shall meet. Prairie polecats know that. Normally, I don't concern myself so much with like subspecies and things like that. But I thought this was weird. There's like 13 subspecies, and they all have these very like regionally specific names. You got the Canada skunk. The Illinois skunk, Florida skunk, the Louisiana skunk. I mean, this would make like a great medley of skunk. Sure. Dance, song and dance. There was just all those musicals. 
back in like the 20s and they'd always they'd take the main song through like a tour du monde like uh-huh. you go you'd like hear the same song performed like with german dancing and like french dancing sure. and stuff like that similar to like the nutcracker all the divertis mall that go through all the different countries and stuff sure yeah it's like that, but with skunk subspecies. There's a Texas long-tailed skunk. There's a Cascade Mountain skunk. <laughs> but it seems like they're all very similar, but there's just, like, variations in, like, their overall body size, the length and bushiness of their tail, yeah. like, the width of the bl- of the white stripe on their back. Yeah. So it's just very slight variations. It makes me think of two songs. The one is, like, this land is your land, this land is our land. From the Florida skunks to the Cascade skunks. <laughs> this land was made for skunks. It was not Kansas. It was actually Alabama that did this song, 40-hour week for a living. Of course I know you this know, song. Like, I love this song. Detroit <laughs> Auto Skunks. I don't thank you for your, your time. Yeah. You work a 40-hour week for a living just to spray it on down the line. <laughs> Hello, Kansas. Kansas. We, we feel skunks. skunks. <laughs> That's such a good comparison. Yeah, that's, that's so what funny. makes me think of it. It's just like any sort of like, you know, I'm proud to be an Ameriskunk, you know. <laughs> or at least I know I'm free. Yeah, any sort of patriotic song that incorporates like I states. I won't forget the skunks who died, who sprayed that right to me. And I'll proudly stand up. Next to you. <laughs> right. Well, there's that long one where it's like, I proudly stand up. <laughs> Next to you <laughs> and the finna. You know, it's just like everybody's like, whoa. This goes on like a little too long. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably a fill in there that I should know. I remember that song the first time from the 2001 in the summer. Oh, really? Uh, when I went to the Boy Scout Jamboree. Yeah. And uh, they played that song, and I had never heard it before that week. And by the end of the week, I was, like, crying, singing it, like, hugging somebody that I had met, like, four <laughs> days ago. You know what I mean? It was, like, a very emotional journey yeah. related to that song. Yeah, I guess same. My memory with that song is that, so when I was in dance class, like starting at like age three, but I think I was age five, I would have been five. That was the theme. Like at the finale, like everyone would kind of like sway back and forth to like a big song. Sure. And that was one of them. And they handed out little flags to all the girls. And I was so mad they didn't give me a flag. So there's like probably home video footage of me like up there, like holding hands, like very lackadaisically swaying back and forth to proud but I didn't get a flag to wave. I remember very distinctly being like passed over because it was only had to like only have so many flags or there weren't enough for everybody. Yes. Yes. I've been a communist ever since. God bless. So every 4th of July, the carnival came to town. Speaking of country songs. It was called Bay Days because it was Bay Village. Yeah. That's where I'm from. And it was called Bay Days and they had like fireworks and so it was very patriotic and it was beautiful. You know, it was gorgeous. Yeah. When I think back to how lucky we were to have like Lake Erie right there you know Uh there's a picture of me as a child with like cray paper like patriotic bike like pedaling in the parade and everything that's it's a very patriotic event yes yeah my mom recently met up with an old family friend they haven't seen each other in 20 years or whatever and this friend told her that there's an expression that they still say in their family, which is something that I said once. In a situation where somebody presented, this happened to me and it's not fair, my response is, it's also not Bay Days. 
And that's what I have to say to you about your American flag crisis is that this is not Bay Days. It's okay. Sometimes life's not fair. Sometimes you don't get to wave the flag when you really desire to. Fair enough. It's true. It's true. And you know, I turned out okay. I have a few more skunk questions. Okay. I've got a lot more skunk info. Turns out they're funny. Just hit me with some skunk facts. Hit me with your skunk facts. (laughs) Spray away. All right. So I just love this description of them. Stoutly built, short-limbed, long conical head, furried tail. Okay, 9 to 12 pounds. But I did want to take some time to uh, have a little vocab alert lesson. Sure. Because I came across a vocab word in terms of um, their feet and how they move. Their main way, their only way of locomotion, like us mammals, is that they're plantigrade. They plantigrade feet, five long digging nails on the end. That's not like us mammals. But we're all plantigrade in the sense that we are toes and metatarsals are all on the ground. So like we walk with the bones that run through our feet. Okay. They're all on the ground as are our toes. So this is I see. From the heel down is all on the ground. Yeah. As opposed to being up on well, you're going to explain what the other thing yes, is. Yes, exactly. This is so interesting. So this is plantigrade. plantigrade. So skunks, like primates, including human, are plantigrade. Versus detigigrade, those are the ones that walk on their digits yes. and toes. And their yes. wrists are kind of raised off the ground. So like a kitty cat, bird, dogs, or canids are all examples of this. And these, t- these tend to be animals that walk very quietly and stealthily. Sure. Unlike us, like, plantigrades, which like, flap, 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 flap. Yeah, they walk with cat-like tread. Yes, exactly. Very light on their feet because they're up on their toes. And then you're going to like this one. Mm, I know where this Undulagrade. is yes. And these are the hoof walkers. Mm. Undulate squads. So we've got our horses, rhinos, giraffes, camels, deer, cow, hippos. You know the ones. I do. Yeah. I just realized that the hand signs that I'm making for Undulate Squad, which is kind of like a Spock. Oh, yeah. That's what uh, Anthony and I do for Talon. Yeah. It's bad for Undulate Squad. So I think I need to also, I think I need to do a single toed Undulate representation. So I think (laughs) it needs to be one hand is doing the finger and the other hand is doing Spock hands. Spock hands. Yeah. All right. That's, That's cool. the new Undulate Squad. Then you've got like Periodactyla. Pariso. Parasodactyla. Yes. And then Artiodactyla. Affirmative. Nailed it. Nails. And you can even go like this, Meredith. Like, <laughs> Coming together. Yeah. I love that. Artiodactyla unite. Yeah. Okay. Dactyla Squad. I was really into that because I think we these are vocab words that we're going to be able to apply with a lot of mammals that we encounter from here on out. Yes. Digitigrade, planter. Digitigrade. Digitigrade. Yeah. Plantigrade, like your feet firmly planted. And then undulagrade. Can you spell digitigrade for my... Digitigrade. Yeah. D-I-G-I-T-I grade. Okay. Digit. Like yeah, digit. Digit. Digit a grade, like your digits. Digitigrade. Digitigrade. Yeah. And that's the one where you're kind of up on your toes. Yeah, like a kitty cat. On your digits, like a kitty cat or a doggy dog. Yeah. <laughs> Plantigrade, digitigrade, undulagrade. Yes. Plantigrade, digitigrade, undulagrade. Yes. There's a hand game. Hand games. Okay. We should film this. Yeah, we should film this. <laughs> okay. Now we've got a mnemonic device with it. It's great. great. 
Okay. Success. Did that. Now we can move on to the anal scent glands. So these consist of two glands on each side of the anus. And then so they secrete an oily yellow colored musk that's described as sulfurous, a mixture of perfume musk. Which do you know about like perfume musk? I'm assuming this is the stuff that comes like literally from like the anal glands of an ox. It's kind of like a deep. It's funny. I want to say musky. Yeah, I definitely know what that means. Have found men's products that are musk scented. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've musked up, but yeah. I've used the term musk, musk to refer to like aroma. Yes. I oh, would yeah. Say that's like a a word that's usually applied to. Just male, scents. a male scent, or just scents in general. Yeah, got a nice meaty musk on them. Yeah, that's there's a pretty serious musk in this room. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've got like a sulfurous mixture of perfume musk, essence of garlic, burning sulfur, sewer gas, and all of which can be sprayed at you, like at the distance of a several meters. Gross. I know. Just oily yellow liquid. And I'm sure it's a little warm, too. Yeah, it's probably warm. Ugh. And it comes out of, like, anal glands. Gross. Let's just really drive home how gross that is. Also fun is skunk reproduction. So, actually, the mating season is now. Hey, skunks Happy out skunk there. Happy mating season. Yes. So, we've got them. Um, they're out there getting it on now. So, mid-February through mid-April. So males' testicles will swell as early as January. So we've got some male skunks Locked that are and loaded, ready to go. Yeah, man. So say a male that's got these like he's bordering on blue balls at this point. Yeah, they're definitely whatever color they are. They're <laughs> ripe. Yes. So he approaches a female. What I wrote down does some cunnilingus. In the article, it said, licked the lady's genitalia. I thought I would make it more relatable. And then he bites the nape of her neck. And then copulation begins. Unless you consider the cunnilingus part to be copulation. I would consider it to be a sexual act. But I I don't know if I would consider it to be copulation. I'm in that camp. But you know how people get with this stuff. Yeah. I am of the mind of, like, did you have sex? Is, like, did the two of you engage in a sexual encounter? And believe me, that can take many forms that don't necessarily involve involve any sort of penetration right exactly that's called fucking right so that happens after the cunnilingus in this case <laughs> for the skunks speaking of polygyny earlier so that the these uh male skunks are polygynous right so they've got like a harem of females and then they hang out with them for like up to 35 days sure after the mating period Beyond that, skunks are pretty solitary. But, of course, like we hear so many times, skunks and other creatures. Solitary until they need to smush it up. Sure. So, um, insectivores, they love their insects. They also like to eat other, like, small mammals, too, like rats, mice, things like that. Probably even some lizards in there. Um, Easy to tame. Sought after for their fur. I'm speeding through all this stuff because I just want to get to the skunk references in jazz, which kind of makes sense. Yes. Or like jazz and funk. Because funk is something we also use to refer to as like a interesting odor. Yeah, totally. But it's also a great musical genre. And so. how. So we've got Cab Calloway's skunk song and the Brecker Brothers' some skunk funk. Some skunk funk. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's some stanky sax playing, but I, I would love it. Actually, I'm just going to assume that. Yeah. 
I once proposed a measurement of funkiness related to like clothing articles, proximity to Bootsy. <laughs> and I'd be like, that's like funkier than Bootsy's sock or something like that. <laughs> and now I think that like skunk funk, I just wonder, was it like Bootsy's skunk or was it like yeah. someone else's skunk? Like how funky is the skunk funk? How funky is your skunk? It's like Bootsy Collins' jock strap. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. No. <laughs> gross his dance belt maybe he probably wore a dance belt definitely a dance belt yeah i'm sure he wore lots of things do you have more to say about skunks i don't i heard one time bootsy wore like a diaper to a party okay i'm glad you said this because i saw george clinton perform oh this was funny you know that roommate like your first it's not a roommate but it's like your first college friend and they're like definitely not the college friend you have at the end of the year sure the first week people yes that then you see have like found each other, but you've had music rehearsals, so you're hanging out with musicians. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those people. Yeah. So my first week person, I took her to in Nashville. They had these like cheap, they were free or very cheap concerts, like down by the river. And I took her to go see George Clinton. Wow. In Parliament Funkadelic. Whoa. It's like sweet Christian girl from Iowa. She was a very good sport. We went, but it was like George Clinton was up there in a diaper. Yeah. And they were like, something stink like a skunk and I want some. Something stink like a skunk and I want some. And I was like looking at her and she was trying to keep it together. Yeah. Sorry, Christina. You're a good sport. Yeah, I think we should definitely take a break. Yeah, we're there. Bye. Bye. Hey, Sally. It looks like you're having some trouble molting out of your old snakeskin. Oh, Sam, I'm just so tired. I haven't eaten a thing in over a year, so I'm only operating at 20%. I just can't seem to work up enough energy to get this darn skin off of me. Sally, why don't you let me help you slip into something more comfortable? Sam, now is clearly not the time to be getting fresh with me. No, no, Sally. I'm not talking about snogging. I'm talking about Brand Clubby's new steak sock, the Kingdom Animalia's first and only molting expediter. It makes shedding your skin as simple as slither, split, and shed. That still sounds like it would take a lot of energy, Sam. How does it work? You simply slither through the snake sock where patented barb technology splits your old useless skin, allowing you to move through the sock and shed with perfect ease. Then you'll be back to your truest self, which is to say, one huge tail with a face. So say it with me, Sally. The brand clubby snake sock is as easy as slither, split, and shed. What do you smell in there, Mike? Oh, I know what this means. We're in the feedback. Oh, we're back. Listener feedback. Luke from L.A. asks, Pumas are super gorgeous, don't you think? Yeah, well, well, Luke, yeah. I agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. Pumas are super gorgeous. They're kind of like cream colored, and it's not like they're, you know, serving it at the level of like a tiger with all those stripes and everything, but I think... You know, less is more in the case of the puma. Mm. The facial, like the bone structure in the face, those big blue eyes and kind of like some like kitty eyeliner going on, big pink nose, 
again, those face contours. Yeah, Puma's like, they're doing it. They're serving it understatedly. The first thing that I have to say is leave it to somebody from L.A. to just be obsessed about looks and to use the word gorgeous, I guess. Yeah. Although I find the wording of the question to be a bit folksy. So I think maybe Luke was originally from the country. Yeah. Maybe he's like a farm boy. Makes me think, oh my gosh, did you ever read Where the Red Fern Grows? Course. Wasn't it like a puma? Oh no, I think it was a bobcat that right. doggies came into contact with. It was a dog killer, whatever it was. It was a dream killer. I know. It was an innocence killer. It was a make me cry, like ugly cry as a nine year old. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, pumas. It's definitely super gorgeous. There's yeah. no question. Yeah, so Luke, that's a ding 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 ding. Okay. Oh, here's another L name. Lacey from Atlanta asks, has anyone really tried putting lipstick on a pig? I'm sure someone has. Yeah. What is that, like, rule 37 of the internet? I don't know anything about the rules of the internet. Um, But I do know that somebody has certainly done that. Some bored-ass person with no sense of decency, (laughs) probably fueled by alcohol and maybe cocaine. Or meth. Yeah, I feel like... The term lipstick on a pig is, well, I guess I don't know. I don't know if only politicians use it. Because if it's only politicians, that would make me think more Coke. But probably some. Yeah, definitely some country drugs. Whatever those may be at the time of the, whenever that saying popped up. Sure. But anyway, let's say I'm just going to go with, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Uh, Definitely Lacey from Atlanta. Someone has tried really putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah, especially in this era of micro pigs and like pet pigs and therapy pigs. Yeah. Like docile pet pigs. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's tried. I just hope it, it's not toxic to them. Mm. But I guess if we're putting it on our lips, to put it on a pig's lips, who's, who knows? I don't endorse it. I'm going to go as far as to say the Animal Fan Club doesn't endorse it. Not at all. But I'm sure someone's tried it. I'm sure the pig was just like, why? What? What are you doing? Yeah, cosmetics should really only be applied to animals that consent. Yeah, generally. (laughs) Although I would say that I feel like that's taking too firm a stance on like fancy, like artistic dog grooming. Did you see this documentary on HBO about it? I know about it. Oh my god, it's so interesting. (laughs) And like, I think they confront that issue, and some people are kind of like some of the artists are saying that people come up and say, "Oh, this is horrible for the dog. Like, why are you doing that for the dog?" It's like, well, this is actually all you know. I do it correctly, you know. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that in that case, I guess I don't have a problem with it. But I feel like putting lipstick on a pig, I would have a problem with I don't think they're into that. I feel like there's more violence in that action. Yeah. I mean, to hold a pig down. Well, unless it's like a... Because there's an Esther the Wonder Pig who seems like she'd just be kind of like very docile for anything. But she has a big bond with her owners. I hope that... Please, whoever you are, don't put lipstick on her. Yeah. Anyway... I don't, I'm not into it. I'm just going to say that. Not into it. Yeah, I'm not into it either, but the answer is definitely yes, Luke. Yeah. Lacey. Ding, ding, ding. Lacey. Lacey. Sorry, Lacey. So many L names. I know. There was two in a row. Luke was from LA. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding. Okay, so we got a free association from Stephanie. She's in North Dakota. Mm Mm-hmm. She gave us a total of six words. Mm-hmm. So I have the first three, Mary has the second three, and we're to say what animal that word makes us think of. Refrigerator. Goldfish. Hoover Dam. Mountain goat. 
tax season. Fox. Barn door. Donkey. Cruise ship. Monkey. Sturgeon. Plankton. Well, that wraps up another feedback session. Keep those questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another 